welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I am Drew. How's it going, everybody? Yo, what up, Drew? What up, listeners? What up, friends? What up, fam? I'm just keeping it versatile here. I'm just trying to throw it all out there, you know? Uh, I've never actually heard you say, what up, fam, in real life to anybody ever. Yeah, well, I'm starting. As of today, it's my new thing. Okay, okay. What up, fam? It's quite uncharacteristic of your typical vernacular, but I'll try to get accustomed to it. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to think that I keep you on your toes. So, you know, I'm going to throw things out there. Who knows? I might say a racial slur during this. We don't know. I'm, I'm keeping it wild. I'm keeping it loose. Well, you say a racial slur pretty much every episode, and I'm going to have to go back in there and edit it out. <laughs> uh... Yeah, for those of you who want to hear those racial slurs, go sign up for our Patreon. (laughs) 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 That's for real fans. You want to see Albert say some pretty offensive things about minorities? (laughs) That's that's paid content. (laughs) Oh, man. Now I feel like we need to start a Patreon just for your joke. (laughs) All right, everyone. In all seriousness, joking aside, this week's episode, what we're going to do is we're going to cover the new flick that's just come out, Thor, Love and Thunder. This is our autopsy. Yeah, this is the Thor-topsy, the Love and Thunder-topsy, Lund-topsy, whatever you want to call it. We'll just throw whatever names out there and the fans can decide what names that they decide to boost here. Yeah, we'll make t-shirts out of it. Yeah, sure. We'll put it on our Patreon, too, with all the racial (laughs) slurs, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Our non-existent Patreon. (laughs) All right. For those of you who've listened to our podcast before, you know how this works. Uh, Usually we just go over the movie, kind of break it down for you, like give you our impressions of it, just our thoughts and feelings, and just, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the whatever. We could probably start off with sharing some spoiler-free impressions for anyone who hasn't seen the film before, but is still kind of curious about well, it. Yeah, and uh, I was going to see if you had any of the back matter, but, you know, I'll try off the top of my head. Uh, you know, just directed by Taika Waititi, and um, I believe he, like, co-wrote the script with someone. I forget yeah, he, the name. it was written by Taika Waititi and Jennifer Caton Robinson. Yeah, I I don't know who she is, but you know, uh, you know, more power to them. Uh, you know, starring there's a entire plethora of characters, but we have uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Natalie Portman. Taika Waititi himself is in it, uh, and uh, I forget her name. Tessa uh, Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Yes, there we go. So, oh, and Christian Bale is in it. So, uh, those are kind of the main characters uh, that you see a lot, but. Yeah, it's it's a good cast. It's it's good people and uh yeah. So, we can jump right into our spoiler-free impressions if uh if you have anything, Drew. Well, let's see. We watched this movie pretty early on Thursday evening mm-hmm. just to get it out of the way so we could record a podcast over the weekend. But one of the things that did stand out in our particular showing was that one dude in our theater who just wouldn't shut up. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about that guy, Albert. Yeah, yeah. Like, right off the bat, this was a guy 
who was so confident in his opinions and in himself that he struck me as the kind of dude who thought everyone in the theater deserved to know, was begging to know what his thoughts were on this film. So As the right, film was going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was bad enough listening to him in the trailers leading up to the actual movie itself because I was just sitting there with this sense of dread with this pit in my stomach thinking, is this jackass going to be like this throughout the entirety of this movie? Is this something we're going to have to put up with? Because I'm not necessarily a fan of trailers, but I'm an even less of a fan of listening to this idiot yammer on while I'm just trying to main, get my peace and quiet out of my movie-going experience. Yeah. I paid too much money to hear this mouth-breather. I don't even know if he was a mouth-breather. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with just referring to him as a jackass. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. He was sitting uh, on the other side of the theater from us, so I didn't, I didn't get a good look at him, but definitely during the trailers, he was... Just shouting stuff, you know, just yeah. talking loud enough so that everybody else in the theater could hear what he was saying. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you remember any of the stuff that he said? Well, I'll, I was going to get into that, but first I wanted to mention he he went to the movie with a buddy of his, or I'm assuming a buddy, or, you know, he got some idiot to go with him. <laughs> this guy, I, I'm sure he was emboldened by this fact because it just felt like, he was talking loud, making jokes, and, you know, just talking crap just to this being guy. obnoxious. Just being a, an obnoxious twit because he felt like, me and my friend, we're so cool, we can do this, you know? Just kind of rag on everything and, you know, make the people who like it feel stupid or whatever. It, it reminded me of when we watched Doctor Strange that first time, and there was that little kid there who was like, that's not funny. And who's just like talking during the whole movie, right? Yeah. And that little kid's entire intent during the movie was because he wasn't having a good time. He wanted to make sure nobody else could have a good time. And the difference here was this guy was a grown ass man. So, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely hoped that he got hit by a car on his way home. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so during the commercials, he was just, okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the first to admit, I don't know who this guy is, I don't know what he's about, and... Oh, we know what a, he's about. He's about well, being stupid. Yeah, amongst other things, he's about being, he's definitely about being stupid, but, you know, like, I don't know for sure what, what his ethos is, or, you know, his... His, uh, his, um, you know, his, whatever his life's philosophy is, right? I, I have no clue what that is. But my point being that, nonetheless, I take every bit of information and, you know, I'll, I'll cop to this, but I, I'm painting a picture of this guy to be, to some degree, something that I want him to be, just so I can hate him that much more. Sure. <laughs> so, but, you know, even in a vacuum, outside of what I want him to be, what he already was was already pretty terrible. So, yeah. you know, 
there's that. So we were watching um, the trailers, and you know, th- we we would have movies for things that no one really knew anything about, and he, you know, laugh out loud in a pretty obnoxious way or just make comments. And I didn't hear him most of the time, but I did hear one specific thing, which was when Wonder Woman came on, he he was just making s- remarks about it, like nobody cares about Wonder Woman, nobody went to see it. No, Wonder Woman 1984 was terrible, blah, 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 stuff like that, right? And I, I don't necessarily agree with him. I didn't care for either of those movies. Sure, whatever, right? But I had the soundness of mind to keep my mouth shut, and it seems like this guy needed someone to just slap him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Totally. You know? And he just felt like he was a dude who was just... So a little bit of context for this movie uh, prior to its release, there were a lot of bad reviews that came out for it. And I think it's similar to that kind of effect that people had with the Eternals where your average person really doesn't know anything about it. And they were just seeing that there were bad reviews for it, even though the movie hadn't actually come out. And as a result or a byproduct potentially of that effect was that Eternals became one of the least, like, one of the movies that earned the least from from that slate of Marvel films, right? So, if I had to guess all of the negative reviews that were coming out for Thor Love and Thunder, if I had to guess, I, I think it was review bombing, but I can't say for sure because, you know, it's not like I tracked down every commenter and every reviewer and found out what they were doing but you're not spending enough time on twitter yeah you know because i like myself too much (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean the movie didn't even come out yet and people were the you know i i heard this from you so see i didn't i wasn't even aware that it got all these negative reviews but apparently a lot of people were giving it negative reviews and a lot of critics Gave it negative reviews too, oh, but on okay. on Twitter, I think a lot of people were already just uh, bashing it because yeah. female Thor, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the same thing that happened when it yeah. happened in the comics. When the comic came out, a lot of people hated it without having read it because yeah. they didn't it, like the idea of a woman Thor. Yeah, it just became embroiled in this culture war that some people invest way too much emotion into. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I, if I had to guess about this dude, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the kind of guy that was just eating that dog crap up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because just the stuff he was spewing in theaters as he was watching the movie, it was just, it was just, you know, chest thumping, kind of, uh, you know, faux masculine, uh, you know, just it was clearly just small, small penis energy on his part. You know, I remember when the trailer for Black Adam started, he literally cheered. Yeah, because in Black Adam, the trailer, he talks about how he's he's not a hero. And he goes, heroes don't kill. And The Rock says, well, I do. And, you know, he pro- you know, proceeds to, like, blow up a jet fighter and murder a bunch of people because, you know. That's what keeps us safe, and that's what makes us feel secure. <laughs> well, he's also Black Adam, so... 
She's not really well, a hero. I, I'm pretty. I'm not saying that that isn't against type of whatever Black Adam is, but I'm pretty sure that what this guy's understanding of what Black Adam is is pretty superficial. That's, also, that's true. I'm sure that guy in the theater thought Black that's Adam. That's the hero was... we need. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I hated this man with every fiber of my being. You know. It was just, one of those things where when uh, when the Thor movie was playing and the first time we see Jane Foster as Thor, I, the guy would say something like, that's not really Thor or whatever, you know, like he would yeah. be making comments like that, like just the, the idiot comments that we would hear all the time when Jason Aaron was writing his run. Yeah. Well, none of them are really Thor. That's Chris Hemsworth in a costume. That's Natalie <laughs> Portman in a costume. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> I hate I hate people, but I hate I especially hate this guy. I hate this guy's parents. Yeah, they shouldn't have been yeah. allowed to reproduce with each other. They shouldn't have. They uh it was a waste of uh human DNA. <laughs> uh, that child that they could have had, that that potential could have gone to creating the next doctor that could have cured cancer but instead this uh this movie theater bottom feeding uh you know scum sucker is what we got <laughs> great just <laughs> wonderful well, anyways <laughs> glad, glad we got that out of our system i think that's pretty much uh what that's that's the whole reason why we have this podcast is to <laughs> to unleash our rants I thought you were going to say that's the entire episode and we were just going to end it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the movie. We're just going to talk about this one guy that I hated. We talked about the movie experience. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, well see, that's between that, the gutters. Bye, guys. <laughs> that's the difference between a loser like that and people like us because we don't have to shout our comments during the movie screening. We can actually save our comments and just record a podcast the next day we're civil drew exactly we, we have self-control and uh we're considerate exactly that's exactly. the difference between us and him the only people who have to listen to us are the people who freely choose to listen exactly and you know i could very easily do a home invasion and make people listen to me but i don't because i love people that much you're a hero. You're the hero that we need and exactly. the hero we deserve. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I. When you said we're done, I was like, I was about to say, I'm not even sure I'm done. I might have to run a, run like a mile after this podcast just to get that out of my system. <laughs> uh, anyways. Well, I'm sure as we talk about the movie... You'll be reminded of the different scenes that came up, and we heard that dude's voice, and maybe that'll give you uh, fresh ammo to shout into the ether as you rail against this epitome of a disgrace to humanity. Thank you, yes. So if you're true fans of our podcast, then take this to heart. Don't talk in movie theaters. You're better than that. We expect you to be better than that. And if you disappoint us, we will shame you to no end. That's a pretty powerful threat. I mean, Same. I didn't think so, but okay. 
I mean, I just minutes ago talked about how I was willing to home invade people's homes and make them listen to our podcast. So I'm pretty sure that's a, su- a substantially more severe threat. <laughs> well, what's more shameful than having your home invaded by a humble podcaster? Ooh, good point. And then having that podcast kiss your woman in front of you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you did that to me, I would feel pretty shamed of myself. Yeah, you cuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly something that dude in the theater would have said. <laughs> I bet that that's something, that's the kind of uh, sentiment that is common to that guy. Anyways, did you have anything to say about this guy? I felt like it was a moment for me to just unload my uh, spiritual fecal matter on this guy, but, you know. Uh, you're, no, I, you're, I, you're I totally welcome. empathized with you, and I feel that you spoke all the things that I was not able to articulate. Thank you. Okay, awesome. I'm always here for your angry rants because I think raging Bert is best Bert. <laughs> I want to do everything that I can to foster the rage. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but it reminds me of this scene that I read in a comic just last week. It was uh, The Black Knight by Cy Spurrier. And uh, the panel was about how the Black Knight's powers are based on his sword and the, the the way that the sword works is it feeds off his like emotional negativity, right? But it's really taking a toll on his mental health. And he's going to this like uh this web MD, like a web therapist to talk out his problems, and he's talking about how, you know, he's just feeling like his soul is deteriorating and he goes, But that's the problem. I'm best when I'm at my most hateful. I'm only strong when I'm hateful. Exactly. I'm only strong when I'm hateful. Exactly. Yeah, that's why the Black Knight, his sword has a Wi-Fi connection, so we can always connect to Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that would have been a pretty fun way to introduce it. If he just, like, goes to Twitter and, like, reads a couple of lines and he goes, all right, I'm ready to stab Thanos now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I, I got my fill of humanity. Well, one of two things could happen. He could, like, go on Twitter and he'd be like, all right, I got everything I needed out of this. I'm ready to cut off Thanos' head. Or he could go on Twitter and he'd be like, Thanos can have them, and he would just go home. (laughs) (laughs) That would be my Black Knight story. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. We'll have to save that one. We we, Uh, we might have to edit this out of the podcast so that nobody can steal our our idea. (laughs) We'll mail Marvel and be like, hey, how's this for an idea? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the pitch. And yeah. the next thing you know, the uh, Black Knight movie starring Jon Snow, that's that's what he does, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not Jon Snow. What, what's his actual... I forgot his name, dude. Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. <laughs> that's, that's the dude wow. that plays... Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyways. are we ready to begin our spoiler-free discussion of... Love and Thunder. Let's go, by all means. So, so what were start. your thoughts, man? Well, I think the first thing that I'd have to mention for like transparency's sake is that I haven't actually read most of the Jason Aaron Thor run, and it does affect... I do think it affects a person's viewing of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because just by the very fact that so much of the movie lifts from so much of Jason Aaron's work... Uh, on that run so yeah. it's a uh, it's hard to separate the two because 
there are just concepts in it that are purely where you can draw like a straight line to Jason Aaron's work. So the idea of Jane Foster as Thor or uh, the God Butcher storyline, like right from the get go. That There were even some shots in the movie that were directly from an Asad Ribich drawing from the Jason Aaron run, you know, like that scene yeah. when Thor and Korg stand on top of a rock and they see this gigantic dead god like the scene right yeah. before they find sif yeah like that yeah. that image is a direct lift from asad ribich's art yeah that yeah exactly right so it's it kind of makes it hard to distinguish the two from one another uh it's hard to look at them and not make those comparisons you know mm-hmm. that being said um I think at least for my sake, uh, it helped me in the sense that I was just able to immerse myself in the film just on its own merit. And I can honestly say that I really did enjoy the movie. I I had to stop and think about it. And I think if I had to really say what I was hoping for or what I wanted from the movie... I'd say that I just wanted a good time, you know, and it's exactly what it gave me. It gave me a story that made sense. It gave me characters that I found likable. Um, it gave me a villain that I found adequately menacing. Um, it gave me moments that I could cheer for. It gave me moments where I felt immersed and invested in what was going on. So I liked the movie, you know, and I actually probably would say i actually would say that in terms of the stuff that came out this is probably top two in my phase four stuff if i had yeah yeah i think so i think that's fair for me um yeah i mean i have other things to say but uh i guess i could save them for later on in the podcast uh go into full spoilers yeah exactly or or not even full spoilers but you know as we get into more detail you know but mm -hmm. yeah i i'd say that in terms of what i got out of it which was you know when you go when i go into a movie theater i just want to enjoy whatever i'm enjoying for the couple of hours that i'm in there it did absolutely that and there yeah. were no points where i really stopped where i had to stop and ask myself hey this doesn't make sense or that doesn't make sense or why did this happen or why did that happen like and even if there were, they were few and far between enough where I was just like, eh, that's fine. I mean, it's just part of the move, uh, the magic of cinema, you know? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't to the degree of uh, something like No Way Home where you were just constantly stopping to question everything exactly. that was happening. Exactly. It wasn't to the degree of No Way Home. I I'd probably even say it's not even to the degree of something like uh, Into the Multiverse of Madness, uh, Doctor Strange. You know? Mm -hmm. So uh yeah it's i i enjoyed it a lot immensely i i highly recommend it mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah what about you drew yeah i had high pretty high hopes going into the movie because of the source material so i have i have read the entire run uh J jason aaron's entire run which obviously formed the spine and the basis of this movie so I think even when they first announced that Natalie Portman was going to be playing Thor, I was pretty pumped because that's 
definitely one of the best Thor stories ever. When we talked about our top 25 Marvel comics, we had Walt Simonson's Thor pretty high up there. And even though the Jason Aaron run wasn't part of our list, I do think that the Jason Aaron run, you know, given time with the with the passage of time, I think it could approach those heights, you know, like I I probably personally think that the Jason Aaron run is an even better Thor run than Walt Simonson's. I mean, they're they're top two for sure, but personally I'd probably lean towards the Jason Aaron stuff. It it goes into so much territory in terms of the ideas that that it covers and just the emotional highs. Uh, I don't think that the movie quite reached those heights just because the I mean his run was super long, right? Like you can't really compare eight years worth of comics over a hundred issues or whatever the number it is. You can't really compare that to a two hour film. Yeah. Now, obviously there are gonna be things that, that will have to be cut uh or adapted or just ignored entirely. But the very first Jason Aaron story that he did in his run was the God Butcher story, which he dedicated 11 issues to. Mm-hmm. And that obviously is a big part of Love and Thunder, seeing as how Christian Bale's character is, you know, that is the character that he invented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then on, on top of that, you have the story of Jane Foster as Thor. And in the comics, that lasted quite a bit, actually. That was several years' worth of storytelling. So you had a lot of time to uh, build up the character and provide development. I mean, when when she was first introduced in the comics, we didn't know who Thor was. We didn't know that it was Jane right off the bat. So there was Mm -hmm. that mystery element that played into it, which made it pretty entertaining. Because if you were reading it at the time, you would be trying to figure out who this was and who who uh what was her secret identity that was that was something that was missing from thor comics for a pretty long time mm-hmm. but with the movie it doesn't really work like that because you already know the actors so there's no real surprise involved there so i understand why they couldn't do that the other thing with the comics is that because uh that story with jane lasted so long and they were able to do so much to develop her. I think because of the short runtime of this movie, it gets pretty truncated. Like you can definitely see the the ideas and like similar concepts in play, but they're just truncated, you know, to fit within this different medium. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah I, I totally understand that too. Um, but but even with that understanding, I, I would still say that the movie doesn't really reach the highs of the comic for me, which is fine. You know, like I, I never really expect the movie to surpass the source material. If it happens, then that yeah. I'm, I'm just in awe. Or even if it's, if it equals the comic in some way, I, I'll be in awe. This yeah. one, I don't, I don't think it quite gets there. It doesn't equal the comics. It's just something different. And even though it's, it's a lesser version of what I already liked, I think I still have enough appreciation for it. There, there were a couple of pl- plot contrivances in this movie that smacked of lazy writing to me. Not necessarily anything that that broke the movie or made it 
something where I had to constantly question what was going on and distracted or detracted from my enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. There were just like little things that that uh, I thought about as I was watching the film unfold. But you know, all all of that said, it sounds like it sounds like I'm down on the movie, but I'm really not. I still was very very entertained by the movie, and I still liked it. Personally, probably if if we were ranking MCU films, I mean, we haven't done this for the podcast or anything, but if if we were, I imagine for my personal ranking, it'd probably be in the upper third of the MCU flicks for me. Mm-hmm. I have I have a great appreciation for it. Nice man. That's yeah, good to so hear. I, I would recommend it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you know it makes sense. Like you've said this often on the podcast, but you know you you're a comics elitist, and you know I I, I don't mean that as a slight or as a negative. No, I, I take it as a compliment from there you. There we go, right? So it's it's for you the comics come first, and they're always gonna come first, and you know that's it's a true mark of integrity on your part as a comic book reader. So, you know, I respect that. I respect that, uh, you know, that's, that's the mark that the movies are always going to have to compare themselves to in your heart and in your eyes. Yeah. And it's especially that, that especially that comparison happens, especially so when the film adapts specific stories. Exactly. Cause I think, exactly. I think when a, when a film takes a lot of liberties and just takes the characters and doesn't specifically set out to adapt any particular story, but just tells its own inventive story, mm-hmm. then there's a different set of criteria involved there because you're not at that point, you're not really, you don't have you don't anything watch, to compare it to. Yeah. You don't watch Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness and compare that to triumph and torment or whatever other Dr. Strange comic already exists you know like that yeah you just take that movie and be like okay that's just what it is uh you know it's not really based on anything existing it's just its own unique story that takes place in the mcu yeah exactly whereas with something like this you just can't help realizing or recognizing the source materials influence because i mean two of the main characters in the movie are based on pretty recent creations Mm. and Mm. i think even jason aaron i think he was a consultant on the movie i think he was credited as a consultant yeah i mean there are quite a few of these i mean it doesn't always happen but there are a lot of these movies where i do think that the the writers that worked on the original source material did get some sort of a consultancy out of it right Mm -hmm. like you know, like even Brubaker got to. Wasn't he a consultant on on Winter Soldier or no? I don't think he was a consultant in the movie, but he had a cameo. Oh, okay. And the yeah. cameo gave him more money than yeah than, uh, any uh, contributions he made to Marvel. Yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but ideally speaking, well, one ideally speaking, when they adapt these to movie, like you know, it'd be nice for the writers to get their cut. But if not that, like and at the least artists. Cons- and the artists, or the creative team is what I meant, right? Yeah. But if not that, then I would at least like them to get a consultancy spot on it, right? Then at least they're getting more money. At least they're getting money 
on top of what they've already done for it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, but Marvel, Marvel, they they be bastards sometimes. So that's that's what you get. Yeah, but, Disney doesn't care about these people who make yeah comic books. I mean, I think the thing about Jason Aaron is that he's still a current big name at Marvel, so maybe that's why. You know, they gave him that consultancy, but I, you know, I don't know why they do what they do, man. I can't speak for them. I, I yeah, was, it's just speculation. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not an executive and, you know, we, we just talked about what I would do if I got to work at Marvel. So there's no reason for them to make me an executive. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Um, Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts or did you want to just mark this as the point where for those of you who haven't watched the movie, uh, this is where we just go whole hog. Okay. Okay. Let's go whole hog then. Okay. We are, we are entering the hog right here. So all spoilers are on the table. We, we will go right into it. We can, I, I guess we could just give a brief synopsis. I'll give a brief synopsis of the, uh, a movie. Sure. So, uh, right at the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to Gore, who is a an alien being who lives in the outer reaches of space, and he, you know, he worships his gods on a dying planet. And right off the bat, we see that their entire civilization has been probably wiped out. And in that moment, he finally meets one of the deities of his species. And he, uh, you know, begs for some sort of relief and some sort of peace. But instead, what he gets is mockery. And in his anger, he finds a way to kill this god and thus becoming Gore, the god butcher. Uh, as it's, he, the, it's the necrosword. All black, the necrosword. Yes, he, he uses the necrosword to kill this one god and he realizes the power that he has and he embarks on this mission to cut a swath across the universe to to wipe out all the deities of every of every pantheon of every you know uh species in existence and uh yeah and then we're introduced to thor who you know, who's kind of after everything he's been to in the last few uh, series of movies, he's kind of in a place where he's trying to rediscover himself and find some sort of peace. Um, you know, he's dealt with the destruction of his homeland. He's dealt with his failure to stop Thanos. He's he's dealt with having to lose his hammer, and he's just kind of in a place where. I don't know if resignation was necessarily what he was feeling, but, uh, you know, he, he found a way to keep going at this point. And it isn't until he finds out that there's a new Thor in town that's wielding his hammer that I guess he begins to have these funny feelings uh, awakened in him just watching a new Thor be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know... Naturally, they come into conflict with Gore, and Gore steals all the children of Asgard and, again, embarks 
on his quest to end all of the gods and that's that's the conflict of the movie so uh did i miss anything was there anything you wanted to mention i think that's a good broad summary all the specific stuff is those are things that we can get into as we discuss particular moments or scenes yeah cool cool you want to break it down by uh let's start with aesthetics drew like which what did you think of the look of the movie I think it looked pretty similar to something like Ragnarok and yeah. really a lot of other, most other MCU flicks. They all have a pretty similar visual style. I think this movie does lean into more of that 80s visual flair. Yeah. And the music is pretty 80s as well. It's a I mean, pretty specific There was even a moment when, uh, when Thor did the splits. Just yeah. like Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know? what? What's more 80s than a Jean-Claude Van Damme action movie? Yeah. I mean, I love that scene. That scene was hilarious. It was but... pretty funny, man. Yeah. It was... Uh, his look... I, I don't know if this is the right description, because I'm not, like, super familiar with it, but it's kind of a hair metal look. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, so it's it's kind of that era of 80s music where... People just had, you know, like White Snake or something, where people had really big hair and uh, it was pretty excessive, and you know, people were just rocking out. It it definitely wasn't something like Tears for Fears or something like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, Tears for Fears just catching strays on this podcast. Uh, no, I'm not. That wasn't me hating on it. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the fact that it's not uh the cure or tears for fears it's 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 uniquely its own thing you know it's Uh uh you know just uh aesthetically it's it's very much in the wheelhouse of this sub-genre of 80s music yeah you know there was a lot of guns and roses yeah i did like one kid uh named himself after axel yeah I did like it's that pretty funny though. to it's there's something funny about a teenager in the 2020s who loves Guns N' Roses so much she wants to call himself Axel. Yeah, it's it feels kind of hard to imagine. It's there were there were little things like that that were a little weird, but you know, for the sake of the movie, I was willing to enjoy it, and it gave us this one scene where they were arguing over his name because he wanted to be called Axel, but. Thor was trying to insist on calling him by his given name that his father Heimdall gave him. I forget what that was. And then, you know, it it happens really quick because they're all kind of shouting at each other, uh, you know, and having this argument. But Korg is in the background and he goes, all right, asshole, we'll call you asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I I laughed. I I laughed (laughs) because that's that's right up there with my kind of humor. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty lowbrow, but it's simple. I've never professed to be highbrow. <laughs> <laughs> there is no part of me that ever indicated or told anyone that I was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I am absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I did like the music 
in the in the movie it again it it was something that harkened back to the decisions that they made for uh thor 3 ragnarok mm-hmm. so it's cool that they continued that into this one right yeah. um and it's I, I i don't know i mean you tell me because i'm not really too familiar with like metal culture but like i'm some kind of metal expert <laughs> I, I think you would know better than i would right or no well no? what's your question <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know right let's let's hear it first and then we'll de- we'll determine i was gonna say like isn't there a lot of crossover between like metal and like viking mythology like yeah. don't they yeah right i mean yeah like isn't one of the sources of inspiration for them like viking mythology yeah that's true see you see yeah answered my question yeah, but it sounds like a question where you already knew the answer. Well, I wasn't confident in my answer. So okay. I just needed... See, I'm the guy at the bar who who says whatever he thinks and believes in that moment without any evidence or proof. But if I ask someone else in the bar and they just happen to agree with me, then I'll take that as full proof that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine... If you had responded to that dude in the theater when he said a comment and you were like, hey, man, brother, like you can you imagine how much more confident he would have felt hearing a stranger say that to him? Uh, it would have emboldened him. He he would have been completely uh, fine with causing a ruckus in that scene. Like he he's the kind of idiot that would have needed that sort of uh, uh, a boost. Like if if there were enough idiots around him to boost him up. I'm sure that we could have talked him into rioting in that theater. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that confident in, in... Well, I have that much confidence in how crappy of a human being he is. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that's a good way of phrasing that. Thank you. I, I'm, I consider myself quite articulate when it comes to bashing the dregs of humanity. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about you. Yeah. It's, one of, it's my mutant power. um yeah but i will say when i was watching the movie it did remind me of that teen titans music video um the 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 teen titans go music video where they do you remember the one i'm talking about is that the one that goes something like shine into the night yeah the one where uh they're reimagined as basically hair metal characters in like the night begins uh, to shine that's what the, the song night begins is called. to shine exactly yeah. exactly so while i was watching the movie there was a part wait, of me wait, wait, that... hang on hang on everybody who's listening to this podcast if you're not familiar with the night begins to shine go on youtube right now pause our podcast go to youtube type in the night begins to shine teen titans and yeah. you'll find what we're talking about yeah and this thing was kind of a, a phenomenon when it hit because the cartoon was just happening and they they injected this one scene uh not even a scene it might have been an entire episode and uh what ended up happening was people just went crazy for it so much so that i think uh Warner Brothers announced that they're going to do a new series based on the Teen Titans as imagined in this uh really i believe yeah i i'm 
I might be imagining that, but I'm pretty sure they announced that they were doing a series of Teen Titans that was uh, where where they're imagined as these, you know, hair metal punks or whatever you want to call them. Okay, I know enough about metal that you can't call people who are into hair metal punks. Oh, okay. I think I think real punks would hurt you for that. Okay, what's what's their term then? I don't know what their what do you, what what you call them? Hair, hair metal. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> hair metal aficionados. Yeah, sure. Uh, hair metal connoisseurs. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're making right? it sound like they're into some highfalutin stuff, but it's really I don't not. know what to call them. <laughs> hair metal fans. I, there we go. I tried to call them punks, and you told me it was wrong, so I have punks nothing is, else. Punks is definitely wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you should check that out. Like, that is a really fun episode, and if not episode, music video. It's because it, it, it found several iterations of uh of life from uh teen titans mm-hmm. but anyways yeah like i i was definitely getting those kind of vibes when i was watching it maybe there was a part of me that had that kind of hoped that they leaned into it a little more but uh hey whatever like i enjoyed what i got that that opening scene of the movie definitely was all about the excess of that kind of uh aesthetic and yeah, you're I talking was just... about the the fight scene on the alien planet with the Guardians? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gobbling that stuff up. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty comical. Just pure, purely entertaining is what it was. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, I didn't really have to think about anything else. I was just sitting there kind of grinning and just enjoying it. Yeah, you just bask in the banter and the the funny little bits of character acting even though the guardians don't really do a whole lot or have too many lines just you can see like in the background scenes when when they're reacting to thor and when he's giving a speech or just the way that they're carrying themselves or the facial expressions that they're making it's pretty funny yeah yeah and even the action sequence like again uh you know i don't know what that guy was expecting or what he wanted well, actually, I have an idea what he wanted. Which guy? The the one in the theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, the jackass. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he wanted just a hardcore fight scene where Thor is just, like, crushing people's heads and, like, screaming to the heavens or some ridiculous crap <laughs> or whatever, right? But yeah. even the action scenes was, were just, you know, they were still entertaining action, but they had levity in it, you know? Yeah, it was lighthearted. Yeah, and I was I was fine with that. I was about that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, Did you have any thoughts about the acting or general direction of the movie? Yeah, in thinking in talking with you about it, I was thinking about the movie and I was thinking about I guess how I was gonna approach my review of it. And it's hard to watch this movie, and like I said, it's hard not to compare it to the comics. Uh, but Mm-hmm. Me not having read all of Jason Aaron's run, uh, I, I do think it helped me to just enjoy it for what it was. And I wanted to pick about the elements of it that were uniquely its own, you know, just for things that 
I could review it for that comes strictly from a place of it being a movie, right? So, um, yeah, in terms of uh, the acting, I will say that all of the characters, all I found all of the characters super likable. I was invested in their relationships with, an, with one another. I liked their banter. I liked their uh, interactions. Um, I, I want to preface this with the fact that Jane Foster, Natalie Portman coming back to the movie was kind of a big deal because I think there were a lot of things that happened in the background of the movie where she ended up leaving the movie and the leaving the franchise in the third film. Um, that's what I remember hearing. I could be wrong, uh, but was, you know, she was, was that the, there was a, so it wasn't that the story just took place without her. It was actually because they wanted her in Ragnarok, but she wasn't interested. So they just, wrote around her i i don't well that's the thing i don't know about that for sure uh like i said there's a lot of stuff on the internet so like i'll i'll have to double check this but the story that i heard was that you know whatever happened between her and marvel like i i don't even know if it was a bad thing but uh however it ended up playing out she ended up not being in that third film that that much is obvious right Mm -hmm. and um what i remember hearing was that taika waititi got onto the fourth film and he reached out to her and talked her into returning to this fourth film into the franchise so okay so again it sounds like this is the point where it would be really helpful if we were at a bar and some other dude overheard you say that story and said yeah man exactly (laughs) yeah i heard that you know she was a raging cocaineaholic and <laughs> and they wouldn't let her do that on the screen on set and as a result she decided to walk but then Taika Waititi was like if you want cocaine hall then you can have all the cocaine hall you want as long as you're willing to work on my movie <laughs> and that's how she came back and that's how I met your mother <laughs> But again, I'm fully admitting that I don't know with 100% certainty that this is the case or not. All I'm saying is that from what I heard that what happened, that that there was some sort of rift between them and she ended up not doing that third movie. But, you know, Taika Waititi got her to come back. That's all I heard. And again, I'd have to double check on that. I will say that her coming back did remind me of what I liked about her and... Uh, Chris Hemsworth, you know, like I, I'll admit for the most part, for the, for the most part, those first two Thor movies are pretty forgettable to me. I don't really think about them often. There's not really too much desire on my part to revisit them. But when I do think about them now, the, the things that do jump out at me was their interaction with one another. Um, I'll also say that there was a point in my life where I had a bit of a crush on Natalie Portman. I was really about oh, her. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, she was, you know, she's 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 a cute woman and uh a talented actress and then seeing her seeing her in this movie did remind me what I liked about her. You know, she's just a a likable person uh, or she comes off as very likable. She and and again, the way that she plays off Chris Hemsworth, they just seem likable together you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's this scene in the movie where well, Korg... let me ask you a question 
Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me interrupting, but you, you had to compare... bastard. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would you call me a bastard, dude? I just have a question. <laughs> you interrupted me. <laughs> uh, and fie to those that would interrupt me. A curse on all your houses. <laughs> My children's children's children will swear vengeance on you. Well, I earlier I did say that raging Bert is best Bert, so I brought this on myself. <laughs> anyway, my question is, if you had to compare the chemistry that Natalie Portman had with Chris Hemsworth and the chemistry she had with Hayden Christensen, <laughs> like how how would you compare those those two roles? Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. uh. I think that whatever she did on Star Wars was perfectly unique to Star Wars in that whatever George Lucas was doing, whatever magic that he was producing brought out a pretty unique similarity or it it brought out the same level of intensity out of all the actors for that particular series of movies. Mm-hmm. So okay, okay, yeah. Um, Very theatrical acting. Yes. So I do think that whatever she did with Hayden Christensen is on its own level of enjoyment. But my enjoyment of her with Chris Hemsworth is probably more gen, more more sincere. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. There's this. The way that they frame the movie is that right at the beginning, uh, they tell you that Jane has gotten cancer recently. And, uh, you know, as she's as she's being ravaged by cancer, she she decides to go out into the world to seek some sort of way to cure herself. And what ends up happening is uh, we, we see their story in flashback you know so when she does re-encounter thor uh korg is telling the story in voiceover and we see just how their relationship fell apart and it's not something that's super in-depth you know like because usually when you do a montage or when you do a flashback like this it's it's a shorthand way of telling that entire story with just Again, with the technique of someone doing a voiceover, telling you everything while you uh, view these short bursts and clips that, you know, vibe with whatever the narrative is going on, right? Mm -hmm. So, but even so, like, I thought that, you know, that little bit, that little scene of them, you know, being in love with each other and then falling out of love with each other, it was... It was a good moment, you know? I was mm-hmm. into it. I was into them. And mm-hmm. maybe it's that thing where it's like when you t- see, like, two incredibly good-looking people or two people that are on screen, your idea of, like, what a relationship to uh, sh- is. There's a part of you that wants them to be that in real life, even though realistically and logically speaking, you know that they're just actors and they're not really these people and they have their own separate lives outside of everything that they do. Right. But, you know, I guess that's the power of acting is its ability to make you want that or want to believe that. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a very earnest uh, statement coming from you. I, I have my moments, you know? Uh, I was going to say, um, it reminds me of this one like thing on Instagram that I saw where someone uh, was talking about Pam and Jim from the office and they, I think they sent like a tweet or something to uh, the lady that played Pam. I forget. What's her name? Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher. And they were just like, I love these two so much in the office. It kind of breaks my heart a little bit to know that they aren't together in real life. You know? <laughs> wow. Somebody actually, that's yeah. a weird thing. <laughs> it's funny, but like, I don't know. Maybe it's, the exact kind of awkwardness that I am that I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of get that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that is bizarre, man. It's, it's funny. I, I thought it was funny, but there's, uh, I guess something innocent about it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> was it a kid who tweeted that? No, no, it was an adult. I'm pretty oh, sure it was man. an adult. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah. But now, to the flip side of the acting, I'd also say that I thought Christian Bale was pretty good as Gore. I thought he was the right kind of menacing that I needed him to be. We talked about how In the Multiverse of Madness was a movie that leaned into trying to touch on horror elements. But I'd say that there are parts of this movie that were more in line with the idea of horror elements. Or or there were parts of this movie where Christian Bale's gore was more horrifying than wanda in in the multiverse mm-hmm. of madness you know what were some of the moments in this movie that gave you that horror vibe just his overall look throughout the film like he he was a pretty creepy looking dude you know the way that they filmed him uh there's there's this one scene where he kidnaps all the children all the asgardian children right and he basically takes them and throws them into this giant kind of walking uh spike cage and and it's it's kind of like something out of a Grimm's fairy tale or something like that Mm -hmm. and i thought that was a very nice touch the way that that was filmed uh and and then when the kids are in there and they're trying to what's the word they're trying to i guess be brave with one another there's this one scene where Gore shows up and he's talking he rips to the, the head children. off that thing. Yeah, he rips the head off this this creature that he creates to to just freak these kids out. I this the scene with the creature isn't in and of itself what's menacing to me. What's menacing is just how he was talking to the kids in that mm. moment. That yeah, that was more menacing than like whatever made up CG creature that they made. yeah yeah so i did like that scene quite a bit where he's just talking to the kids and you know it's not he's not going over the top he's not eating the scene he's he's just being threatening threatening and kind of gross i guess uh like there's yeah there's there's an unease to to the way that you view him in that scene yeah yeah um did gore ever let his captive children go somewhere else when they had to go to the bathroom or do you think they were just wallowing in their own urine and feces in the cage the entire time uh if i had to guess he used his eldritch horror monsters 
to connect themselves to their urethras and their anuses, and <laughs> it became a human centipede type of situation. <laughs> Dang. Uh, that's the only way that that makes sense to me. Dang. That's the only thing. That's the only thing you can imagine. That is. Kids? Yes. Yes. What is it? Is it any better or any worse than having them wallow in their own feces and urea? I think not. That might have to be a poll we should take on Twitter or something. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if the people would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and in terms of Taika Waititi's direction, uh, huh, you know, like, I'll tie it into the aesthetics, but I do think that some of the worlds that they picture or that, that he produced to show us, like, uh, Omnipotent City and, uh, well, yeah, like, Omnipotent City, as an example, I thought that was a really interesting-looking, you know, place, mm-hmm. um, there's this one scene where they just do it where the Thor and Jane Foster Thor and uh, Valkyrie show up on this planet to hunt down uh, Gore. And the whole thing is just done in black and white. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was experience. a pretty cool visual effect. The, the idea of being in a place that was just bereft of color. But yeah. whenever they used their weapons to to uh work as a light source there was bits of color there and that yeah that was pretty fun to look at visually yeah it's and it's pretty different than anything i've seen from these other mcu films like even comparing it to the other thor films like it's it's certainly more memorable than uh you know anything in dark world but i feel like that's punching downwards but it's true. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I. I you might think, as well stop to bash Iron Man three while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any excuse to bash a Snyder film, so I'll, I'll go and bash, uh, Batman v Superman while I'm at it. <laughs> that entire battle in that black and white world was more interesting than their Superman Wonder Woman Batman triumvirate battle against doomsday in sepia tone (laughs) in sepia tone exactly um i do think i'd have to watch ragnarok again but i do think it just it would make sense to say that taika waititi has done and directed more films since ragnarok so i do think visually he's gotten better and you know, included more things in his bag of tricks since Ragnarok. So, you know, I I think he's a great director, and he's got a lot of versatility. And um, I I mostly know him from comedies. So a lot of the things that I know him from are like the first thing I ever watched from him was uh, What We Do in Shadows, which was a small budget indie mockumentary style film, which. Mm-hmm doesn't really give him too much of a range um he does have do he does do a little bit of like special effects stuff in that movie and then uh the other movie i love from him is jojo rabbit which is a more dramatic film but you know he he clearly is a guy 
Oh, and he also did another film called like a hunt for the wilder people, but he's clearly a dude who has a lot of versatility in terms of what he directs. And I, I think that this movie does continue to show that he has, he, he, he clearly has directorial chops, you know, it just mm-hmm. cements in my mind that he's a talented dude. Mm-hmm. Would you say Jojo Rabbit leans into comedy aspects the way that his Thor movies have? I would. Um, I think there are a lot of people who who kind of poo-pooed, who, no, who did poo-poo this movie by saying things like, oh, I don't appreciate how this movie injects humor in a lot of scenes where... Wait, are you referring to Jojo Rabbit or Love and Thunder? I'm referring to Love and Thunder here, but okay. I do. But I'm making a point that uh you know links to jojo rabbit Mm -hmm. so my point being that uh for a lot of people who whose criticism of this movie is that there's it's too jokey or there's too much humor in it or 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 to even take that and cast a wider net and say that most of the movies in the you know phase four or the marvel house style verge on just being too jokey like one, I, I don't think that's enti- – I don't agree with that. Uh, there are clearly movies that don't follow that style uh, or that don't feel the need to be as jokey. Uh, and two, like I think that's just who Taika Waititi is, uh, which, which, which is, was going to the point that I was trying to make, which was I think that his style is one that introduces levity into – whatever stories that he's telling he's he's just a humorous guy and he i think a lot of his stories revolve around the fact that there's a lot of serious subject matter that he's telling but there's also light moments of lightheartedness moments of humor as well you know Mm -hmm. so when you look at something like jojo rabbit it's about kids that are in the middle of a not uh it's about these German kids who are growing up in Nazi-occupied Germany, but there's still moments of levity and humor in it, you know? And Yeah. Um, I think of something like Hunt for the Wilder People, which is about a kid who is in the foster care system. And, you know, basically the kid is just out there looking for someone to love him or to someone who's going to be a parent to him. But he's just kind of an awkward kid and it's, it's a serious subject matter, but so much of the movie does have these moments of humor and that's what makes them likable. That's what makes them lovable. And the idea that, Oh, Thor is just so jokey that he's just kind of a buffoon or whatever. I I'll, I'll take that over the idea of him as being a one dimensional meathead. By yeah. Any, any stretch of the imagination you know there's layers to him and i i accept those layers he can be funny and he can be serious and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that and i i think it just speaks more to uh taika waititi's directorial style than it does this just broad statement of all movies all marvel all mcu movies in phase four like their house style is just trying to be 
uh, jokey or whatever. And that's, that's, that's what their failing is. I think that's, I think that's reductive and I, I don't agree with it. And, uh, I don't care for that as a criticism. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I, I probably agree with you. I mean, definitely there are people who didn't like the humor. I mean, we were just, uh, in our text thread with our buddy Shanus, and he mentioned how he thought the humor undercut the movie and was counterproductive. And, and uh, you know, I've seen stuff on Twitter, people posting their takes on the yeah. movie, just tweeting stuff like how the humor is at odds with the gravity of the situation so they couldn't get into the drama. It made them not care or feel invested in the characters because the characters became like jokes to them but yeah yeah that's, that's just not something i sympathize with yeah, yeah. it i, I like the comedy it it made me laugh it it reminds me of uh i think i mentioned this on a previous episode but there was this podcast that i was listening to it's a quick question with uh daniel o'brien and soren bowie uh and they were talking about how you know just I forget what they were talking about. I think they were talking about like apocalypse movies, movies that take place in the apocalypse, you know, post-apocalyptic films, that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys on the podcast was talking about how he just doesn't find that believable, if anything, because, you know, even in his mind, he was saying that even in circumstances where, you know, we have people at war or people, uh, you know, in the middle of a crisis, they're not dour all the time, you know, they're like, yeah, people are multifaceted. Exactly. Right. Like it feels, I don't mean to make this sound dismissive of people's experiences, but you know, like when people are embroiled in whatever catastrophe that they're embroiled in. Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. It's really serious. But again, people are multifaceted and, they're capable they're the way that they deal with their stress comes out in a multitude of ways and that includes being snarky or having you know some form of gallows humor like that's just how people are mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah so so i don't i don't adhere to the idea that Oh, this is serious. We're being so serious all the time. Serious, 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 serious. Great. <laughs> that that reminds me of another Teen Titans Go sketch. Yeah. Where, uh, again, the Teen Titans Go. It's a really cartoony version of the Teen Titans, right? Yeah, and they got big feet, big heads. Yeah. And they're always involved in these really jokey circumstances. But there's this one little short where they meet other versions of DC superheroes that are drawn in a more, well, let's just say they're drawn in a gritty style. And by gritty, I mean very 90s Rob Liefeldian kind of style where they've just got bulging muscles, gritted teeth, pulsing veins, lots of pouches, you know, just over-designed shoulder pads and whatnot. And because of the way that they look, they're so serious. Yeah. I gotta talk through gritted teeth. (laughs) And... Yeah, it, and it's just this hilarious contrast between yeah. these 
two extremes in terms of uh, superheroes stories, you know, yeah. like you superhero tones where yeah. you, you've got the the stuff that's jokey and, and humorous standing up against the stuff that's trying really, really hard to be so serious. Yeah. And I think when you put them side by side, the stuff that's really trying hard to be extra serious always falls flat. Yeah. Whenever it just I looks, meet, it just looks pathetic. Yeah. Whenever I meet someone in real life that tries to be really hard to be like dark and brooding and like uh, what's it called mopey or whatever, I I spit at them. I I I don't take them seriously. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um. And yeah, it's. From what I remember, there's this one bit in that same cartoon where they're just sitting around and they're going, they're they start sharing their dark origins. So, you know, Robin's over here like, my parents died because a mobster got to them before I was able to save them. And Raven's like, oh yeah, well my father was a demon that you know cursed me and forced me to become and birthed me so that I would bring him into the world. And everyone's just over there trying to overcompensate with each other and yeah. it's just so lame it's, it's so funny lame. <laughs> yeah it it's ma- unintentionally it was funny. funny yeah <laughs> you know Ugh. do you think that comedy in the mcu is getting to a point where every movie feels like it's trying too hard to be comedic though uh, if someone made the statement that it was more an issue of uniformity where they're all becoming a little too alike. I might have more sympathy for that. Um, I think there are certain movies with humor that I appreciate more than others. So I think about this Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I love those the way they are. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't want those to change. I think of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I don't think I need that. Let me let me let me walk that back a little bit. I don't okay. know if Ant Man and the Wasp necessarily. I, I don't know if they exist in any other form, except being kind of jokey. So maybe Ant Man and the Wasp or whatever future iterations of Ant Man does need that. I don't know. In, in terms of like comedic Marvel movies, it's not in my. It, it's not in the top three. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say that much. Um, but. In terms of every movie, quote unquote, needing to be kind of jokey like that, I don't think I don't think I need every Marvel movie to be jokey. Uh, I don't think Shang-Chi was jokey, but I also don't think it needed to be jokey. I think that movie was kind of jokey. It was kind of jokey, but I don't think it needed to be jokey is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's a movie that if they had removed the jokey aspect of it. I think it would have been better in my mind. Well, I think there are a lot of things that they could have removed that would have made it better in my mind. Yeah, agreed. I could have done without surfing on a dragon. (laughs) I could have done without magical oriental land. Yeah, yeah. Those are just Uh, two off the top of my head. And thinking about it, I don't think Black Panther was jokey. I thought that was a pretty serious take on Black Panther. That's true, yeah. I mean... Certainly there were jokes within the movie, but I wouldn't say yeah. comedy characterized the movie. Exactly, exactly. Um, Doctor Strange 
was a little bit jokey, but I, again, I, I, I don't think it was maybe more jokey than something like Black Panther, but I don't think the comedy defined Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Did you? No, I, I was uh, making my agreement with you known. No, no, I was just asking. But oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think this idea of every movie in the MCU as jokey is necessarily something that stands up to muster. I, yeah. I don't. I don't believe it. Um, I think it just depends on the character too. So. Spider-Man, it makes sense for it to be jokey. Ant-Man makes sense for it to be jokey. Uh, Daredevil doesn't need to be jokey. Um, but I guess Punish, you, you huh? could also say, did Thor need to be jokey? Thor didn't need to be jokey, but I will say that the version of Thor that we got and the jokiness of it, I think it's established itself as... It's cemented itself in my mind as something jokey, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- well, here's a question for you. Based on what we think people expect Thor to be, do you think this portrayal of Thor was pretty different from that generic idea of what people you know of what certain fans think Thor should be or whatever the generic idea of what Thor is supposed to be is I think the answer to that question depends on which group of fans we're thinking about because I think there's definitely a segment of comic book fans who probably don't like the idea of a comedic or comical Thor. Yeah. But I also think that there's a segment of general MCU movie going fans who only really have exposure to Thor through the movies probably yeah. think this is appropriate. Yeah. You know? I I do think that there are some people who who look at Thor and say he's a viking. I want him to be like a viking. So, you know, maybe whatever your generic idea of whatever a Viking is, okay, like, I'll say this much. I'm not against that idea of, uh, I'm not against a story like that, but... Have you ever read Thor Viking by (laughs) Garth Ennis and... Lots of raping and pillaging. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for those people, I want to say, well, if you want Thor to be a Viking, well, there we go. There's Thor being a Viking. <laughs> Did you actually read that comic? Uh, I think I examined enough of it to get my measure of it. Plus, my knowledge of what Garth Ennis is and what he writes, I think I have an idea of what happened in there. That isn't just... I was, I was being... Uh, I was just being uh, uh, short about it, but that doesn't mean that Thor was actually raping and pillaging in that comic. He just happened to come up against zombie Vikings that were raping and pillaging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so just to clarify. But yeah. I, but my point being that for the people that want him to be a real, quote unquote, to act like a real Viking, then that's 
kind of the idea, right? Because Vikings weren't they weren't cuddly and lovable. Exactly, exactly. Okay. But so. it, it's it's a uh, in comics though when you think about it, there are all these different interpretations of characters and they're all pretty much equally valid at any given time. Yeah. It really just depends on the creative team that's telling the story that they want to tell. Yeah, so that's it, true. It becomes I think it's actually pretty pathetic to think, oh, this character can only be serious or this character doesn't work when you make him comedic. Yeah. Because how do you know that until you actually read the comic? Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I agree with that. Um, Yeah, because you can read a Spider-Man comic that's pretty jokey, which I think most people expect Spider-Man to be full of witty banter and one-liners and and that kind of... uh, comedy in terms of of dialogue right but uh you you can read something like craven's last hunt which that's totally serious yeah that's probably the greatest spider-man story like the single spider-man story that there is but it's not a story that has spider-man giving too many quips or one-liners and yet somehow it still works you know like you don't look at craven's last hunt and be like Man, that's too off the wall for Spider-Man. It doesn't fit him because it's too dark and serious. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those things where it's so well done, so well written, but still so in his character that it just makes sense when you read it. It's like it's a totally different tone of Spider-Man story where it's very heavy and grim and poetic, but it still fits him. Yeah. 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 And it's it's hard to do that with with every character. Or I guess it's hard to do that if the creative team isn't working in sync. (laughs) But we do know that it's quite possible for these different interpretations to all be able to work at some point or another. Yeah. I was going to say the one character that a lot of people might not want this for would be something like the Punisher. But because I hate the brunt of humanity i want a jokey punisher I want have you ever read <laughs> the punisher meets archie i haven't but because that I, was a funny comic yeah but exactly that's what i was gonna say like that's something that marvel should be promoting all the time like there's been a lot of uh like i guess media controversy around the punisher symbol as of late so much so to the point that they've decided to change the Punisher's symbol in in a in an attempt to, I, I guess, circumvent uh, the the problematic people or the problematic groups that have co-opted the Punisher symbol. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, they should just super heavily lean into. Punisher meets Archie and super promote that. Yeah, they gotta <laughs> they gotta go talk to those Archie people and reprint that crossover, man. Yeah. Uh they should I would wanted I would love to do a Punisher comic where he becomes uh a nineteen you know, nineteen twenties era Punisher uh nineteen twenties era Chicago uh, gangster Chicago gangster killer or something like that, you know? Or like a Dick <laughs> Tracy sort of character. <laughs> I'm the Punisher, see? It's cement shoes for you, see? Yeah! <laughs> Take that, flat top! 
But jig is up, Jigsaw. <laughs> Off to the slammer with you. Uh, anyways, you want to go into the plot? Yeah, were there any particular plot elements that you wanted to discuss? Uh, Yeah, I, I think this segment probably has a lot of meat for us just because, again, we can't separate this movie from... We can't separate, separate... It's not easy to separate the plot of this movie from the source material. So mm-hmm. there's there's definitely... If there's anything or any... Yeah, if there's any area where there's the most divergence between, you know, our... Not divergence, but if there's any section or area of this movie that conflicts with, uh, you know, our ability to enjoy it the most, it's probably in the plot. I'd probably say that thematically, for me, there are things about the movie that are, I might say generic, but maybe I'm just a sucker for those themes and ideas. Uh, So I was able to enjoy it for what it was. Uh, The the idea of, you know, Gore the God Butcher just going on this quest to slay all of the deities of the various uh species in existence it's you know it's it's a simple enough premise that i can get behind and uh and the idea that in the end thor's thor's entire i guess the thesis statement of the movie being that we need to choose love again it's kind of a simple thesis but it, it it hit home with me. I, I I like that sort of thing. Like I'm a fan of magical girl stories in in anime. So the idea that you know love is the power that overcomes all is something that has always spoken to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What yeah, about you? I just feel like one of the central points of this movie is that idea of is it better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the movie just came up with a different way of phrasing it, but I felt like that was the sentiment behind it, and the yeah, the way that things played out all the way up until the end when Gore makes his decision in front of Eternity, it all reinforces that theme, and you know we also see it play out with the relationship between Jane and Thor himself. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, I I thought it was pr- pretty moving just to see that last scene play out where <clears throat> they're there at the gates of eternity and Gore has the one chance to make uh, he he gets his one chance to ask eternity for anything and over the course of this entire movie he's gone on this quest and what he was going to ask for was to have eternity wipe all the gods out of existence all in, in one fell swoop but thor he's standing there and jane foster has succumbed to the cancer she's in the previous scene he tells her not to come because you know turning into thor is sapping her body so that it makes it more it makes it easier for the cancer to overcome her and so they have this huge battle and thor fights it out with her 
And, you know, in the final moments, Jane, you know, obviously decides to disobey or, or go against Thor's wishes. And as a result, she goes on this suicide mission where they they both know that even though he needs her help in this moment, that she's going to die as a result of this, or it, at the very least, it's not going to help her. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, when they're in, at eternity, Thor could continue to fight, but yeah, he just says, like, I could spend my final moments with you, or I could spend my final moments with the person that I love, that I want to be with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he pr- proceeds to let his words be the thing that uh i guess influence gore in that final moment and in that final moment he chooses yeah like as corny as this sounds he chooses love and he chooses he literally chooses love because that's her name isn't it (laughs) was that her name i I thought he just called her that at the end uh like i don't even remember what her name was throughout the movie but, I think her name is Love. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he chooses to bring his daughter back. Uh, he uses the one request of eternity. And he's, I guess, moved by Thor's decision that he, instead of having all the gods wiped out, he chooses to bring his daughter back. Which, yeah, I thought that was... You know, that's kind of up my alley. It's it's the kind of Sailor Moon esque uh, <laughs> story element that that I just uh, that I just gorge on. So yeah, between the gutters, everybody, the only podcast where you get a Sailor Moon reference in discussion with a Thor movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there were yeah. a couple of things in the movie that I thought were plot contrivances that did irk me a little bit. They were the kind of things that made me pause mentally in the middle of watching the movie to consider, wait, how or why is this happening? So again, none of these things destroyed my ability to enjoy the movie, mm. but I, I still think that they could have been things that probably might have been able to have been addressed a little bit better than they were. So here, here's a couple of things that I had written down in my notes. But first of all, the big one for me is Mjolnir itself. Because yeah. if it could have been reconstituted and functional all along, why didn't Thor do that years ago? And I think the movie tried to address this by saying that Mjolnir had a special bond to Jane because Thor commanded the hammer to protect her at one point in time. Yeah. But I don't know. That just felt kind of flimsy or wishy-washy to me because why is it just that one command to protect her is all it takes for Mjolnir to reform from all of its shattered pieces and be able to function? You know, like what? I'm sure Mjolnir would have wanted to protect Thor himself. So when he needed Mjolnir, why wouldn't he have been able to do that back in uh you know the avengers movie when he needed it against thanos uh yeah i don't yeah i i see where you're coming from yeah uh yeah it's not 
Yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, nothing much, but I guess seeing Mjolnir be more active in the movie, that was good to see, just because in the comics, in Jason Aaron's run, Mjolnir does have a personality. Like, it's mm. it's clearly got some sentience and and communicates with Jane. So I, I feel like the movie did try to at least give a little bit of lip service to that when she said that she felt Mjolnir calling her. Mm. Even though we don't necessarily uh, hear an audible voice representing Mjolnir, uh, she still seems to hear something. But uh, yeah, in, in the comic, it it's pretty interesting to see how Jason Aaron crafted Mjolnir into... It's not necessarily a full-fledged character, but definitely a presence with with a with its own voice and even its own will, something that really worked well with Jane. Yeah. Heck, even the movie in the movie they did kind of something similar with Stormbreaker and like those funny little scenes where it looked like Stormbreaker was getting jealous when Thor yeah. was putting yeah. his eyes back on his old hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, I, I there's something like that amusing. Stuff. That was yeah, funny. yeah. yeah. I, f- I feel like that's the kind of thing where somebody might say those kind of jokes are terrible or or silly and have no place in the movie. But I don't know. To me, that is that is how those things work. You know, that's how those hammers aren't necessarily just mindless tools. When Thor loves his hammer, it's not just him loving <laughs> an an object that has no will of its own. You know, it's, <laughs> there's something special to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though even though MCU Mjolnir is different from the comics, it's still something where I can tell myself I think they used the comics as inspiration to kind of give these hammers a personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Another element that uh I thought of while watching the movie was if Gore just needed Stormbreaker to access the Bifrost all along in order to get into eternity, why didn't he just go after Thor first? Uh, yeah, I don't have an answer for that. That's just one of those villain logic things where it's like, I have you dead to rights, but I'm going to tell you my plan before I kill you. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. mean you're practically dead, so yeah. you might as well know what I'm gonna do. That's true. That's true. I, so, I guess he wouldn't really have been much of a god butcher if he didn't butcher any other gods. Yeah, I also don't think it would have been much of a movie. So <laughs> if he just went straight at Thor to begin yeah. with. Yeah, it would have been a far shorter movie. Or it could have just been one long fight. Yeah. I don't think that's something that appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, how about this one? In the final battle, you know how we always criticize these MCU flicks for following the formula where it always crescendos at the end with a giant battle between CG armies fighting against, you know, some kind of other CG thingamajig? Yeah. And that pretty much happens in this one, except that in this movie, the army is a bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if Thor could imbue his power to these dozens of kids, how come he never did that when he fought alongside the Avengers or anybody else? You know, what like would it have helped if he had given all of those uh Wakandan soldiers 
more of his energy when well, they were fighting those guys, uh, the Black Order and stuff in Infinity War? Okay. So I, I got a couple of things for this. So okay. one, one, I think the implication was he needed Zeus's lightning bolt to do that. So I don't oh, think okay. he could do it on its own. Okay. On on his own. Two, I, I'll admit there was a part of me, my thought when I was watching the scene was, okay, if if all it takes is giving the power of Thor to all these kids and having them use that power to fight the monsters, how threatening is Gore really? It was my thought. So you, you couldn't stand the idea of a god butcher who gets beaten up by a group of rascals? Well, I, I didn't say that I couldn't stand it. My first thought was... I think my my initial reaction was, oh, that's that's kind of hard to swallow, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But the more I thought about it, it was a fun scene for me to watch. I, I if I had to be completely honest, just watching it, it was akin to watching something like The Goonies or something like that, where <laughs> you just you got kind a Goonies of, reference and a Sailor Moon yeah, reference. It's just something where you throw. Not even Goonies, maybe something like Monster Squad, but it's the kind of moment that I could throw myself into because it's this moment where it's it's like, yeah, the kids get a chance to to you know to have their adventure and to fight back, and I think on the face of it, it's on the face of it that that sort of plot element is always one that's going to be hard to take uh something like home alone is realistically realistically those two those two crooks would have killed uh (laughs) little macaulay calkin like he was nothing they would have shot him in the head the second that they saw him it would have been the end of the movie so it's just one of those uh story elements that you just kind of take for the pure entertainment value of it and once i looked at it that way i was like you know what I'm fine with it. It's whatever. I don't, I don't, this doesn't, it doesn't this break doesn't, the movie. It doesn't break the movie. It's not something where I have to force myself to go, what kind of villain is gore if these kids can beat him? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I don't like this. This is stupid. Like, it's just, you know what? I'm here to enjoy myself. So the idea that, and the way that Taika YTT filmed that scene, I got a lot of just laughter out of it. It was just pretty watching. funny. There was this little kid who, so the scene goes, Thor is like out there, he's by himself, and he's just trying to pump these kids up because he doesn't have an army. He tried to get an army of gods to go with him to fight Gore, but all he has are these kids, these child Asgardians, and he goes, and you know, he's given this speech to them, and he goes, go find something, grab anything, grab whatever weapon you can find, and he goes, Today I imbue you with the power of Thor, and you you know go out there and help me stop Gore, right? Mm-hmm. So he they all grab just pieces of debris, and they're <laughs> debris, <laughs> and they're just getting ready to go out there and to fight these eldritch shadow monsters. I feel like this entire podcast is building up to the point where you could say the word debris. <laughs> I've, I had that in my pocket since yesterday. <laughs> Man. I'm committed to a bit. <laughs> so all these kids are out there, and it's just kind of the slow motion scene where they're just, you know, jumping around and 
there's this one little girl who has a stuffed bunny or a stuffed animal and you know this stuffed animal becomes imbued with the power of thor and she's just using she's just screaming her head off and using it to blast these monsters i i was i just i was, was hilarious first in that i was i was all about that man so that was pretty funny yeah so anyone who who looks at that and goes this isn't the same as Superman fighting Doomsday. That's not cool. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Just shut up and eat your cat food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like there's plenty of stuff for people like that. You watch, watch the Snyder Superman films. Go watch uh, the Fast and the Furious. Go watch the Expendables if you want that sort of like chest-thumping posturing if if that's really what you need then by all means go eat that stuff up but i don't uh yeah i don't i don't empathize with with the idea that that's not something that you can get any enjoyment out of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and then my final question is in that final battle how did jane arrive at the center of the universe so quickly yeah. So she's she's uh, in her hospital bed, and then she looks at Mjolnir and makes her decision. While you know Thor is in this battle with the alongside the kids, his child sol- soldiers, his enlisted child soldiers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that he just cons- conscripted in the moment. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they're in the center of the universe basically, and she's just able to get there so quickly. And I, I did bring this up to you offline when we were just discussing stuff earlier yeah in general and i think you mentioned there was a bit of dialogue earlier in the movie about how valkyrie's pegasus could also tap into the bifrost or something i guess i just missed that little detail but is that yeah just to clarify on the record that's that's the explanation for that yeah there's a bit of uh there's this small interaction between thor and valkyrie uh earlier on in the movie where they're talking about how uh stormbreaker is is stormbreaker can generate the bifrost but they need some sort of vessel to to ride the bifrost right mm-hmm. and then uh thor says something to valkyrie along the lines of it's way better than your pegasus and she she responds with oh the pegasus is fine the pegasus uh like the implication of that exchange being that the pegasus is also capable of doing like some form of teleportation you know okay. yeah I, I forget what the the exchange was exactly but uh the the implication of that exchange between them uh left me with the impression that the pegasus's pegasize peg paninis pe, pe, uh <laughs> that they're capable of some form of trans uh teleportation as well or uh portal generation so i see i see so and then when she comes flying in on the on the pegasus uh yeah that that was the breadcrumb that they left so that she could do that okay yeah i guess i can buy that then yeah but if yeah if you hadn't told me that it would have been one of those situations where i was questioning how did somebody how did a character arrive from point a to point b so quickly i feel like that's a problem that i've been seeing a lot happen in in star wars like a lot of the Especially these new Star Wars ones. I won't say it doesn't happen in the original trilogy, but a lot of these newer Star Wars stories, there's these contrivances where 
people just travel from planet to planet. Use, you know, they're flying through hyperspace, but it still feels ridiculously fast how they arrive yeah. at a place when, you know, some action over on Tatooine is happening and they're on this the other side of the galaxy and they just hop on a ship and then a couple hyperspace jumps later, they're... Apparently, they're in, the nick in of time. space, it's like taking the J train. So you just show up. <laughs> like, yeah, super fast. <laughs> but I was going to say, um, the other thing is... Doesn't uh, Mjolnir have the power to create portals and teleport? In the comics, it does. I don't remember yeah. if... Actually, you're right. I think even in in the MCU, it, it's able to do that. Yeah, so if not the Pegasus, uh, then Mjolnir can do that. That's true. Yeah, I guess that's all she really needed then. She didn't really need the Pegasus. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot that the movie version could do that. But now that I think about it, it reminds me of how, uh, I think it was in Age of Ultron when Thor is at the end of that movie. He uses Mjolnir and like creates that weird crest thing in the grass when he teleports away. Oh, the I want to say it's like a Celtic... I don't know. Yeah, you're right. So, it's so uh, the Norse gods are Celtic? <laughs> I don't know. It looks Celtic. <laughs> Uh, but whatever <laughs> you know what what do i know what do i know about celts yeah we don't know enough about white people culture man i really don't <laughs> we're we're too ignorant yeah yeah you got anything else no i think in terms of the plot contrivances that i had questions about those were the things that i remember questioning in the moment yeah i feel like you've helped answer most if not all of those that's what I'm here for. Yeah. So Should let me ask you another question about the story. Ultimately, what would you say this movie is about? Uh, I guess, yeah, that's something that I've been mulling over. I'm still not entirely sure that I have an answer for that. But I do think that, again, like I mentioned earlier, the idea of love and choosing another way, you know, finding, choosing love seems to be the, the theme of this, right? And yeah. I remember as I was watching it, one of the things that oddly enough was coming to mind as I was watching it was it was actually a Mr. Rogers quote. And let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, it's it's this idea that basically all of the world's problems come from like love or all of the world's problems can be resolved because of love or are a result of a lack of love is is what i was thinking um i think that's just something that shows up pretty pretty adequately in this movie you know right up until the very end where he where thor says to him you know i can choose to gore yeah says to gore sorry Uh that i can choose my final moments to be with you or i can choose love i can choose to be with the the people that i do love and yeah so much of the movie like even right at the beginning when thor when when uh korg is talking about thor's story in in narrative uh, he's he's telling him he's saying oh um you know after all of his failures he really didn't know what to be until he he essentially resigned himself to being this guy who would just go oh i'm here for the battle I'm I'm here. Let's let's do battle. Like that's, I'm pretty sure that's what it said at the beginning, right? 
something like that, I think. Yeah. So, so it's about, again, it's about Thor going on this, I guess this emotional, semi-emotional, but semi-actual journey to, to find a new status for himself in, in light of everything that he's been through in the past uh, couple of years. So, oh, I find the quote right here. The Mr. Uh, Rogers quote? It's a Mr. Rogers quote. And that it was the thing that I was thinking of when I was watching this movie. It goes, love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relations, relationships, love or the lack of it. There is no normal life that is free of pain. It's the very wrestling with our problems that can be the impetus for our growth. You know? So Okay, so we've had a Sailor Moon reference, a Goonies reference, and a Mr. Rogers <laughs> reference. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting episode, this one. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really felt like that was, at least in terms of what spoke to me, that was what I felt was the theme of the movie, was this idea that even if you look at Gore at the beginning of the movie, Gore has just seen he he's at the beginning of the movie gore is the last of his kind it's just him and his daughter and you watch as he witnesses the death of his daughter and in that moment he in the final moments as he's about to die he comes across an oasis and in this oasis he meets one of the gods that he worships and he goes to this god and he tells him he basically says i've been faithful to you like can like you know what is my reward essentially like wh- like what can we mm-hmm. like even though he's asking for his reward like what i heard or what i think was being said was he he wanted some sort of solace you know he just wanted to know that everything that they had given up everything mm-hmm. that he had lost that he would get some sort of acknowledgement, some sort of comfort for it, right? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, the the god, the deity that's there, is completely just completely mocks him and just lets him know just how utterly meaningless this guy and his worship is to him. And he just says that once you die, I'll just find new worshippers new people to worship me and Mm -hmm. you know the the idea there being that all if this guy had just shown him some compassion and some well love and some comfort they could have uh avoided could have avoided this entire mess exactly right and and that that lasting image of this uncaring unloving god that he you know that he gave all this worship to it just left him embittered and that's what led him to go to embark on his journey to wipe out all these other deities is Mm -hmm. the the fact that over the course of this journey he's just sitting with the fact that these gods lied to me this deity lied to me and as a result i lost everything and i lost my daughter and without that sense of compassion or love or um yeah that sense of compassion or love from this being all he was left with was his bitterness and 
he took it out on everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I do think that it does wrap up with the final idea of it, which was Thor telling him, you know, you can choose to be angry and you can choose to be bitter and you can take all this power in the universe to strike down the people that you were mad at, or you can choose love. And again, this guy chose to, he chose love at the end. He chose to bring back his daughter. He chose uh, compassion and um, like mercy. Mm-hmm. And and in the final, final scene in the movie where you see Thor in his new life, like I really liked that ending. It tickled me. I, I know this is kind of your pet theme. That's my but, gutter bait, man. Single fatherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was something about the idea of so well okay first of all let me let me talk about the scene prior to that though um in that scene thor spends his final moments with jane and i thought that was a pretty touching scene you know she's she's used up the rest of her she's used the power of Mjolnir to become thor one last time and it's taken its toll on her and she succumbs to the cancer but they spend one moment together with each other and i I thought that was a nice little scene that they had. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of it all, once Gore has made his wish and once they've resolved the main story, you see that Thor in his new life, at the beginning of this whole journey, he, he talks about how he doesn't know what to live for. He doesn't know what he wants to be. He doesn't know, uh, he, he's resigned again. He's resigned himself to just being, a guy waiting for the next battle, right? Yeah. And then at the very end of it, he has this new person in his life that he rears as his own child. And yeah, he's chosen, you know, his his new, uh, I guess, the new focal point of his being is is this young girl that he's raising as his own. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's the idea that he's raising has to be a child soldier, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the idea that he's uh you know he's choosing the path of love to like teach her to be to be good and to to be just and heroic. There was something beautiful about that. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Did you have any takeaways from the movie? Uh yeah, I think what you said definitely makes sense as the through line of the emotional crux of the story yeah one of the things that also stood out to me was because it's a movie about gods and the god butcher it definitely raises interesting questions about what godhood really means because pretty much most of the gods that we encounter in the movie are pretty callous or selfish uh, you know, yeah. there was that whole sequence in Omnipotent City with Zeus and uh, all of his kind of like-minded cronies who really didn't care about what was going on because they just wanted to have an orgy and <laughs> enjoy themselves. You know, like, like that's that's their problem. If people, if other gods are dying, that's on them. You know, yeah. like there's no reason for for them to for the rest of them to risk their lives to try to stop someone who's armed with all black the necro sword so 
I think it it definitely makes me think of just I, I think the depiction of of Godhood is certainly something that stands out just because it it makes me think of what it means to be a god which i'm pretty sure isn't that you know it's like well like i don't think that the idea of these gods in the film or let me rephrase that i would say that the way that gods are presented in the film just makes it pretty obvious that they're not really gods that are worthy of worship yeah that's 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 the main thing they're not worthy of worship i mean even uh just thinking about zeus who had a pretty big role in that middle section like he wasn't somebody that i mean i I think at some point he was obviously worshipped but (laughs) nowadays it's more he's more just a mythological figure you know like nobody you you don't really come across churches of Zeus too much the same way you don't really come across too many churches of Odin or whatever the case may be yeah they're all more along the lines of these mythological beings or characters really yeah so i, I think for me it it definitely raises questions about who is actually worthy of being worshiped and it's certainly not any of those things not those guys. I think yeah. uh, when I consider the source material too, I, f- I feel like the comic leans a lot harder into that idea because the the movie, I don't really feel like it explores the notion of godhood very much. Whereas Jason Aaron's run, it's all about the question of worthiness. Yeah. You know, even starting from the beginning of his God Butcher story, that's the beginning of his eight-year run it it deals he deals so much in that first story um with with the gods and um who is worthy and then when you move on who who is worthy of worship and when you move on through his run uh you get to a point where odin's son thor odin's son is no longer worthy to lift up mjolnir and that's when jane takes center stage in his stories and Mm -hmm you get this big exploration about what it means to be worthy. So it's, it's definitely a big theme in the Aaron comics, not really touched upon in the movie. I think it feels like I only think about it because I've read the comics, but if I were just watching the movie as pure entertainment, I don't think, I don't think that would really cross my mind. But, um, the God Butcher storyline in in the comic, it's pretty succinct story. It's 11 issues that together stand tall as one of the single finest Thor stories of all time. Yeah. And I, I will also say that it was more narratively and thematically complex than Love and Thunder. Yeah. The God Butcher story in the comics portrays Thor as an immortal god. And it features three intertwining narratives focusing on a young Thor in the past, our present day Thor, and an aged Thor at the end of time, as all three of them deal with the overwhelming threat of Gore, the God Butcher. And Gore himself in the comics, he comes across as far more fearsome and ruthless. And there's an entire issue 
in the story devoted to his backstory. So we, we also get to understand how he came to be. And it's pretty similar to what's presented in the movie. There's a little bit, I think the comic is a little bit more effective because you, you get to see uh, this downward spiral in his life as he gets taken over or obsessed with getting revenge against the gods. But uh, yeah, I think the way that the God Butcher story in the comics explores the notions of faith and higher powers, is it's quite fascinating. Because from what I know, Jason Aaron grew up with a Catholic background, but now at this point uh, considers himself an atheist. But if you read some of his a bunch of his comics there are quite a few of them that actually deal with the active search for faith and the search for a deeper meaning in life so like mm -hmm. another thing that comes to mind uh, off the top of my head would be something like his ultimate comics captain america story which deals with which touches on issues of of faith and deeper meaning but uh yeah in in the comics gore's motivation was that god's only bring pain and suffering to mortals so mm. he became devoted to killing and destroying all gods yeah there's a this metaphorical aspect at play where you can see how gore represents a worldview that is actively hostile to the idea of faith and his obsession with killing all the gods in the universe drives him down this terrible path where he obtains more and more power through the necro sword mm. in the comic he even has a new wife and a son who support him. And at the emotional climax of the story, when he's finally able to bring about an end to Thor and all of the gods that are still in existence, there's a moment where his wife is just overjoyed at what he's about to accomplish. And she calls him, literally calls him her savior. And she calls him her god, and when she says that, this triggers a furious rage in Gore, and he slaughters her on the spot. Mm. And th yeah, that's the turning point in his story. And then his son, uh, later on, revealed to be a construct of the Necro Sword. But it's his son who points out to Gore himself that Gore has become the absolute thing he hates the most. He spent his whole life trying to kill all the gods, and at the end of, at the end of it all he himself has become a god of sorts. So there's just this delicious irony at the end of the story that I wish was present in the movie, but it's not. In instead, the movie gives us this sort of redemptive scene where he kind of learns his lesson and, you know, it, he, he already committed a bunch of evil, but it's too late to do anything about that. But at the end, at least he, like you said, he chooses love. Whereas I, I think... The way the comic ends his story on this note where he realizes that he's become the thing that he hates, to me, that's probably more powerful and something that I've read and, and reread quite a few times. Mm. Mm. It, it, it's funny, too, because that ending, it kind of reminds me of uh, Shades of Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Remember that story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the one Ennis. where Punisher. Yeah, Garth Ennis writes Punisher the kills. Uh, Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, he kills all the superheroes, and at the very end of it, there's uh, no one left. There's no one left except for himself, so he kills himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was but, gonna. Uh, oh. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna talk about your like depiction of the gods 
Um, and it does. It did remind me like of earlier depictions of like early Greek and Roman gods, where I felt like that depiction of them was might have been more accurate or more closely aligned to those early versions because if you read like old greek or roman mythology those guys were they were just dicks you know yeah, totally like I, i'm zeus pretty sure a lot of women yeah zeus turned into like a bunch of different objects and animals just so he could like you know bed and bed is like the safe term for what that's he a, did that's a sanitized term. that's, that's a, a very euphemism. sanitized term for what he did so he could bed a lot of uh earthly women but suffice it to say in a lot of those instances instances i'm pretty sure it was against their will yeah you know totally so i i do think it did follow along that trend line of I- an idea of what what gods were you know yeah and yeah. Here, here's the other thing about the way the comic portrays the story but the comic challenges us to consider whether gore has a point that all gods are inherently evil and callous because of the suffering that exists in the world like the idea that even if they're not actively causing harm to their worshipers the fact that they allow harm to come to their worshipers yeah. Or even suffering and, and other things like that. Just the nature of them permitting those things, that that's enough to for what people like Thor to believe that the gods are, are evil. Yeah. Or yeah. or that they're they don't deserve worship because they don't give their worshipers, you know, a perfect life or every single thing that they want or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. And and that that's the kind of thing that the comic forces you to think about. It confronts those things. But it's interesting because even though it's written by an atheist, that story's ultimate conclusion is surprisingly hopeful and optimistic. And it even ends with a validation of faith because that, that story ends with um, somebody praying to Thor and, and Thor comes to answer her prayers for rain. And yeah. basically, like, just this note to to give an indication of, I guess, how faith is never ultimately really pointless, you know? So mm-hmm. I always thought that was a pretty interesting story, to, especially considering who wrote it. it I find it just a, just very fascinating, man. Like, a lot of stuff to, to consider um, just from reading it yeah yeah but yeah i think with with the movie how it literally ends with gore choosing love over his hate and he kind of finds some sort of i guess repentance to a degree but uh yeah it it's a somewhat redemptive end for him overall i probably would say i still prefer the end of his story the way it plays out in the comics mm-hmm. where he's just a you know his ultimate enemy is himself. Yeah. Like once he realizes what he has become, he can't. <laughs> what <live>. have I done? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, he doesn't regret anything he's done. Yeah. He just, he just can't believe that he's become a god himself. Yeah. And that, that's really what does him in. 
because once he once he re- makes that realization, he doesn't even try to fight anymore, and 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 Thor just kills him. Yeah. And then the other big aspect of the movie was Jane's story, and I think again, that's a another major part of of the comic uh, of the Jason Aaron run. But I think the story with Jane as Thor hits much heavier emotionally in the comic. For one, like I said earlier, there's no real mystery in the movie because we see right off the bat that Jane is dealing with uh, late stage cancer and we know she's Thor to begin with. And although we see her dealing with the physical and emotional toll of her cancer, comic had the advantage of telling a long-form story over a greater period of time. As a result, in the comic, we get to experience the highs of Jane as Thor, much like we do in the movie. However, the lows of her cancer don't feel quite as pronounced because those scenes are pretty short and rather fleeting when we do get them. There's far less gravitas in the film, and when she makes her final choice, to pick up Mjolnir in the movie doesn't feel quite as emotional. And I I think in the comic, by the time you get to the scene where she picks up Mjolnir for, for the final time, I think that's one of the most moving scenes in superhero comics I've read in a really long time. Like that scene builds up because you just know uh, all the stuff that she's been through over the past few years worth of comics, you already empathize with her struggles. And it's just a true Marvel kind of story because it's like the, the Spider-Man formula, you know? Like every time you do something right, something goes wrong. And that's just the way it is. Right, right. Huh. And one yeah. of the central conceits of the Aaron run, especially when the Odin son was no longer able to pick up Mjolnir and Jane became Thor, is the question of what worthiness is. And and that's something that Aaron deeply explores uh, in a lot of detail in his run. And again, yeah, that, that question is not at all addressed in the movie, which is understandable because it's already like two hours long. But still, I think just as a fan of comics, it makes the movie feel a bit lacking because that idea of worthiness is something that is so deeply associated with Jane as Thor. It's hard for me uh, to just not have that at all. You know, like I I can't help but question it uh, when I don't see it. Right. Yeah, it's listening to your an assessment of uh the the comics it doesn't make me want to go back and well not even go back because i i read a couple of i I read a pretty decent chunk of that first run that he did Mm -hmm. uh thor god of thunder but i think i came to a point where i was just like well jason aaron's gonna be working on this for a while so i'll just probably wait till it's done in its entirety before i you know, uh, take it upon myself to read all of it. And, you know, in addition to that, I've been collecting that issue from quarter bins for, for like years now. So yeah, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I almost have all of it. I'm missing two issues 
but once I get those two issues, I, I will have everything. And uh, yeah, it, it does make me want to, I mean, I already wanted to read it before, but you know, I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel strongly that the emotional impact in the comics is much deeper and meaningful than in the movie. And it's not because it was a bad performance or anything. I think it's just because the movie was truncated. So they just kind of like crammed everything into it. You don't really get to build uh, a whole lot of attachment to the character just in those handful of scenes that she gets. You know, like you only have that scene in the beginning when you see her uh, getting her chemo uh, in the in the hospital and then there's like a little montage scene where you see her struggling with the emotional uh, impact. Yeah. And the there's emotional that toll. one scene where she's in the bathroom and yeah, I mean, and she smashes the sink. Yeah, I like that scene a lot. I mean, it's a really small thing in comparison to like having all these issues to do that sort of a story. So I acknowledge that, but yeah, I like that scene. Yeah. I think in the comics, I think because they spent so much time harping on this idea, or not harping on it, but slowly just building up the tension because you realize that every time Jane transforms into Thor, all of the toxins in her bloodstream get purged. So that means all the stuff that the chemo is doing, it it gets removed. So... Essentially, each time she transforms into Thor, she has to restart her chemo the next time she turns back into Jane. Yeah, yeah. So you you just get this picture. It's like a ticking time bomb in the comic where you're constantly seeing her uh, go on these adventures. And then when she's done, she'll go get her treatments. But something happens and she can't do anything besides turn into Thor. Yeah, because she's not going to ignore something that she knows is happening. She's going to do the right thing of helping people. Yeah. That that whole that whole mission to that whole desire to help people is what's literally killing her. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I guess there's another funny thing in the comics that isn't quite played up in the movie. But I think it's just how in the comics, one of the reasons why. Odin's son isn't Thor and Jane becomes Thor is because he gets to a point where he's not worthy of lifting Mjolnir. Yeah. So he's still running around doing his thing, but he's just using a battle axe. And then he sees this mysterious new Thor flying around with Mjolnir using his powers, dressed like him and stuff. And he doesn't know it's Jane in the beginning. He's completely uh, unaware of who it is. And there's a story arc where he's trying to figure out who this person really is. Like he thinks it's somebody that he's already met. At one point he thinks it's his mother Freya. So he, he doesn't know who the new Thor is, but there's also this crazy sense of jealousy really because, or insecurity on on top of that, because it's like, basically it's like seeing your ex with somebody else and realizing that they're way better off with that new person than with you. Yeah, they did sort of do that in the movie. I mean, yeah, this is maybe more comedic, but or played for laughs. But yeah, it was. I 
I don't know how that was done in the comics. Uh, but yeah, I'd say it, it was done in a way where you understood where Odin's son was coming from, uh-huh. but at the same time, you can't really say no. Mjolnir's better off with him. When you were seeing what Mjolnir was doing with Jane, it was like, uh-huh. oh yeah, that's pretty much meant to be. Like Mjolnir is better off with Jane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I did want to add one thing though, um, you know, in terms of just things that were different about the movie and things that were different from the comic. Mm-hmm. And this might be a bit of a take, but I actually do think the design for Gore was better in the movie than it was in the comic. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't get behind that. I, I think I'd have to disagree there. Yeah. I don't I'm not saying that Isad Ribic is a bad artist. He's good, but I think in my mind, Gore in the comic was always just kind of a naked nose noseless dude, and you know, with like a black shroud. So it really didn't really. He had the tentacles on his head too. Yeah, but overall, it didn't really impact me in any way. It wasn't. I remember uh, later on in the arc, they introduced this character called the God of Bombs. Yeah. And for a while, I was confusing the two of them with one another. I mean, he, he, he definitely drew them in a way where the God of Bombs was a lot meeker and a lot and like constantly cowering. But it took me a while to be like, wait, which guy is talking right now? You know, dang, I, I yeah. feel like if you reread the comic, you won't have that problem, though. Maybe not. I, you know, I. Yeah, like I said, I, I I do think that the design for Gore is more to my personal tastes. I mean, the God of Bombs, he has a uh, he's got like extra eyes on his forehead. Yeah, and he's green. Was he? Yeah, See, I didn't even really remember because they both just kind of had the same like they both have those head tendrils, fleshy. Yeah, but they, the the God of Bombs also has like four legs. Does he? See, I I was I didn't even really remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they you were, were reading it too fast, man. They were both just kind of fleshy naked guys. That's all that's naked what I people look the same to you. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> <laughs> if I think, yeah, because they did again, they weren't really costumed or anything, so it it just kind of yeah, I. Yeah, it's like you said, maybe I was reading it too fast, so in terms of just my association as I was reading it, it was just like, okay, Thor is fighting a naked, fleshy guy, so, all right, there we go. <laughs> so whenever, when they introduced another naked, fleshy guy, I was just like, wait, who, who's who's talking and who's doing what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We may so, have to do a future podcast on the comics at some point. Uh, maybe. I'm sure. I just want to see if you'll still feel the same way after reading it again. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, in terms of my confusion between the two characters, or yeah, exactly that. Oh, okay. Uh. Because to yeah. me, they're, they're pretty distinct characters. 
they just the only thing they really have in common is those little tendrils on their head but i mean one of them is pasty white and the other one is green so i'm i think i'm just scratching like, my head wondering how you got them mixed up they, he wasn't even like a hard green though from what i remember like it was maybe like a like a a tint of green he was green like a ninja turtle i don't know i i'd have to take a look <laughs> at that cuz i remember seeing i remember them showing this new character and i was just like wait wasn't this the guy that was trying to kill Thor in the beginning? <laughs> like this dude had four legs, man. Uh, here's four what I'll legs say. And four eyes. Here's what I'll say. If I was looking at Walt Simonson's design for Hela, I remember what she looks like. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. she's got a she's there's a detail to her design that is just unforgettable. But yeah. I don't know, just. The idea of Gore is just a naked guy with, like, tentacles on his face. Like, I remember looking at him and thinking, this guy just kind of reminds me of Voldemort from the Harry Potter movies. Mm. Yeah, I haven't watched Harry Potter, so I, I wouldn't yeah. get that reference. Yeah. So it's 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 not, I don't know. You know what I did realize? What's this that? week when I was doing a little bit of research, I guess I had forgotten this bit of information or maybe I I just never knew. But the person who designed Jane's Thor the costume, like that look for Thor, yeah. it, it wasn't Russell Dowderman. It was actually Asad Ribic. Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I, I guess I always just thought it was Russell Dowderman because he drew, he's the artist I associate with Jane, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess Rivich designed the costume to begin with. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, it's it's not it's not a criticism of Isad Rivich's art. He's he's an incredibly talented artist. I just that just one design was just not something that ever struck a chord with me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on the movie or even any speculation about the future movies, like the end credits stuff that we saw? I'll just reiterate the fact that I did love that very last panel where Thor and Love go out and, you know, go. They, it's just them jumping off to go on another adventure and just that scene of uh you know just indicating that thor has found his new lease on life and that's you know cultivating this uh relationship with this young girl and i know that we we kind of, well okay we we have mixed feelings on the idea of like child actors but i thought the little girl was actually quite good in in that end scene you know, she yeah. was definitely better than the kids, than Wanda's kids in Into the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. You hated those kids. <laughs> those kids were awful. <laughs> if they were like her, I would have I would have. I would have definitely found them more endearing. But as it stands, I if I was Wanda, I would not know why I would want to go back to those kids. <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to traverse the multiverse in order to get them back in my life. Man, that is brutal. Yeah. But this little girl, Love, you said her name is Love, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
it's weird to say, but I liked her a lot. I, I thought she was, you know, her. she didn't have a lot to, to say or do. I think uh, that helped, though, because even if she's not a great actress, the yeah, fact that she limited. didn't have too many lines or too much to do, it, it made her scenes work. Yeah. Well, but I'd say even what we did get, like, I found her endearing. Mm-hmm. There was enough there for me to go, oh, she's she's a sweet kid, you know? Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I get how having someone like that in your life would want to give you a new lease on life or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't know. sound like you really feel convinced. Or yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you know, <laughs> blah blah blah, whatever, whatever you want to say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, speaking yeah. of child actors, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I watched that Obi Wan Kenobi show, and there's a little girl who plays a lead role in that movie, actually, or that TV series, and I thought she was probably one of the best child actors I've seen in a long time. Like I was genuinely impressed by her. Nice, and nice. You know, I don't say that about kids very often. Kid actors. Yeah, yeah. You you definitely have a harsher take on kid actors than I do. It might be just because I've spent a lot of time around kids when I used to work at a school, so I have less respect for what they're able to do. <laughs> I used to work at a school too, man. <laughs> oh, that's true, huh? Yeah. I guess. I, I, yeah. I guess I mean, you I don't must have lurking, loved your kids. I call it lurking, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of time lurking at schools. Sorry, that came out wrong. Lurking. You spent a lot of time as an adult lurking at schools. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the bushes surrounding schools. Whew. Man. <laughs> if the FBI ever needs to investigate our podcast to get evidence against you, I question what comments like that We'll have to do in your favor. This is a joke. That was a joke. Let me clarify this. <laughs> uh, for anyone, for the NSA or anyone that might be listening, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. He does not lurk around schools anymore. Yes. <laughs> it's mostly playgrounds nowadays. <laughs> he gave that up when the pandemic began and they shut down the schools. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I used to work at a, a at a you know at an elementary school program too. So, you know, I'm not. I don't know. I I I don't know if I I'd necessarily say that I trust any of them to be able to put an award winning performance. But, uh, I don't think that they're all terrible either. Oh, that's like the most uplifting thing I've ever heard you say about humanity. Well, let me close it by saying that the two kids that played Wanda's kids were absolutely terrible. And if that was your sample of what child actors are like, I would completely understand. Okay, your, that sounds more like Albert, I know. Yeah. 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 So there we go. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, you yeah. think we'll get... Uh, Thor, mo- the next Thor movie will be a single dad Thor and his daughter kind of story. I hope so. Like that'd be fun, I, man. I don't know. See, th- this is the thing it, that that entire story or plot element is kind of new territory as far as I can tell. Because 
I don't think it's based on anything moving forward. Uh, hey, as man. Far as... Thunderstrike had a son. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the less we think of Thunderstrike, the better, really. But anyways. Dang, no love for Thunderstrike? I can guarantee you don't have any love for Thunderstrike, so don't... Uh, you don't, don't think feign, I have love for Thunderstrike? Do not feign uh, uh, <laughs> abhorrence to, to me. <laughs> I guarantee you have less love for Thunderstrike than I do. You think you think I love Thunderstrike less than you do? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess yeah, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> you make a good point. Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> but I was going to say, like... I do feel like if they pursue that plot element, then we might go back to doing Thor movies that aren't really... Well, I'm sure they'll find something to crib off of in terms of, you know, current Thor continuity. Or or it might be something where we'll see it in the comics. But, but you know, that aside, I, I do like the idea of Thor as a single dad. Um, again, this Hercules, huh? You can fight Hercules in the next movie. Well, that's the thing. They, they kind of, uh, left you on a note that, that ended with all the other, you know, Zeus and his pantheon getting ready to make some grown man moves, you know, mama, Mm -hmm. there goes that man (laughs) hand down, man down, (laughs) making some grown man moves. (laughs) But so I, I don't know what they're doing, and, and this is kind of like what we were saying, or what I was saying in the uh, the Moon Knight episode. But like I don't know what Marvel is doing by playing up all these various pantheons. Uh, I feel like they're guiding it in some sort of direction. I'm still not entirely clear what that direction is. So you know, if they decide to do that for the next movie. Don't know if I'm a huge fan of that. I I I don't think I am. But what if they what if they just want to do their version of War of the Gods? They're better off not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> War of the Gods, like one of the many failed or forgotten eighties uh, uh, events series. 80s slash 90s event series that they did that they were just throwing out there. Wasn't that a DC event? That's what I was saying, DC. Yeah. That's yeah. that's why I think it would be funny because then it'd be like them just thumbing their nose at DC doing a DC crossover before the DC movies could do it. That would be funny now that you mention it. Okay, okay. You've won me to it. You've won me okay. to it. Nice. And if they can do it better than DC does it, I'm about that too. Yeah. <laughs> so... There we go. They yeah, the 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 little teaser at the end, the the after credits clip did introduce Hercules. I didn't know who the actor was and oh, by the way, Zeus was Russell Crowe. I'm pretty sure it was Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I looked that one up. Yeah. And uh that guy that was in the theater with us, he seemed to love that for whatever reason. Hercules cuz he was buff, dude. Yeah, yeah, that's what a real man looks like, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Super lame, but <laughs> I don't know. You, you know I, what that dude in the theater would love? He would boy. love it if we saw Null. I 
bet he would have. Well, no. I, I I have a feeling that even if they gave him null, like, he'd still find some way to crap on it because he's just a hateful turd. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I was worried that we would get some hints about Null when they introduced the Necro Sword, but it didn't really seem like they uh, dropped any hints for that. Null might still exist in uh, Sony properties, because I don't even know how that works, but if if Sony has all the rights to all the Spider-Man and Spider-Man-related stuff, and they have the rights to Venom... And Null is quote unquote part of the Venom verse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't it stand to reason that Sony would have like exclusive would have rights dibs to on Null? Null? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I, I don't know. That's probably the case. Even though we've seen Null in a bunch of stories that don't have Venom or Spider-Man. Yeah, it's still weird because. He looks the way he looks. He has Venom's logo on his chest. He has Venom's logo, but he's just—he just looks like an elf, like an elf dude. Yeah. 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 It's Venom meets Malakith. Yeah. See, I—I I can honestly say that Gore's design is more interesting to me than Null's design. So there we go. <laughs> true that. True that. Uh yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, Sony can keep Null. They can, yeah. <laughs> they can have him in a movie with Morbius. It's and, Morbin time. <laughs> and have Morbius go. It's Morbin time as he punches Null. <laughs> Heck, Null even sort of looks like Morbius if you think about it. That's they both true. Got long they hair, both have pale skin, pasty white skin. Yeah. Red eyes sucks so much. And they, they couldn't have suck. given him a better look, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, actually, you know what? Looks aside, even without the look, the idea of a eldritch symbiote god, that's dumb to me. It is. It there's, is. There's no way that Null... I don't think there's ever going to be any way, at, at least from where I sit right now, it's hard for me to find, to believe that there's a way that Null could ever endear himself to me. They would have to get Alan Moore himself to write a null story. And that ain't ever happening. Yeah. Do you have an idea for a null story that would make him cool to you? No, I do not. (laughs) I think that's just a character that I have no interest in. I don't care for. I think totally sucks. The only way I would read a comic with him. Well, I can't say it's the only way, but I've read because I've already read a bunch of Null comics, but I think the only Null, the only way I could be excited or intrigued by a Null comic is if they got some amazing writer and an amazing artist to do a story. Yeah. Did you, I forget, did you read King in Black? I did. It was crap. Yeah. 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 It was total waste of time. I imagine that was the case. Yeah. Definitely one of the worst things I read last year. (laughs) Nice. And I borrowed it for free from the library, and I still felt like I wasted my money. (laughs) Right, right. 
Okay. Do you have any, uh, uh, like, uh, speculations? Oh, speculations? Not yeah. really. I, I I do hope we get a single dad Thor movie with his him and his new daughter. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's a direction they would actually go to, but that's what I'm hoping for. As as a person who is always engaged by and interested in viewing or reading stories about single parenthood, that's a Thor story that I would love to see in a movie theater. Yeah. Oh, actually, I did think of something, though. So the second end credit scene did show that Jane was, in fact... In well, Valhalla? In Valhalla with, you know, uh, Heimdall and, yeah. I guess, the other Asgardians. I think mm-hmm. that's a safe assumption to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, oh, uh, I, I guess this opens up a can of worms a little bit. But my hypothesis for why they sped Jane through her entire story arc for this movie was so that they could speed it up and potentially reintroduce her as Valkyrie because Valkyrie, her character, the Jane Foster character, has been reintroduced as Valkyrie. So That's true. I don't know. If I had to guess why they like sped her entire arc in this one movie... It might be so that they could bring her back in the next movie or next to somewhere down the line as as Valkyrie, if that's in, in fact what they intend to do. But yeah, I suppose if Natalie Portman isn't interested in playing the role again, then they've already got a good ending for her character. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah, here's hoping that if uh, Taika Waititi does the next movie, he can talk her into it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, I like him. I, I think he's a good director. I like what he makes, so I got I got no qualms with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, so just in terms of summary, summarizing some final thoughts here, I would say, yeah, my biggest problems with the movie are how it tries to adapt and combine two of the most significant Thor stories into one movie. However, both of the st- two story elements, Gore and Jane, Both of them feel half-baked. I truly wish that Jane could have gotten her own movie and that they didn't try to cram her resolution into this one. But, uh, you know, all that said, even though I have some faults with the movie, I still enjoyed it for what it was. And like I said earlier at the beginning of the show, it's it's in the upper third of MCU flicks for me. So I got a lot of love for this one and was suitably entertained by it. So no real... No real problems in terms of I hate this or anything because I don't hate it. I just think the comics are better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a it's a it's a good stance to take. Uh, you know, I, 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 I at least it was something that was enjoyable. And, yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. It maybe it doesn't live up to the comics, but I figure if it opens the door for people to go and like chase down those comics, then there's benefit there too. So absolutely. I hope more people end up reading the Jason Aaron Thor run. And I hope people don't, you know, look at the, the, the reviews and, you know, the negativity and take this as a sign that this isn't a good movie to check out. I, 
I like this substantially more than a lot of the MCU or DC movies that we've seen in recent in the recent year to be yeah. quite honest. So same here. I think in terms of all the superhero movies and shows that we've watched, this is probably I think I still like Eternals the most. Mm. But yeah, this is probably it's up there. right after it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This and Eternals are definitely right up there for me. Mhm. Mhm. If anyone has uh, any contributions, any input they want to, you know, shoot our way, feel free to hit us up at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or, or hit us up, slide into our DMs at, uh, <laughs> you know, between the gutters on Instagram. Uh, our link tree is up, so you can check out our our Instagram, our Twitter, our YouTube. It's all up there. So, uh, and if you guys would, uh, you know, give us a four or five star whatever the highest mark you can give us on your on whatever platform you're streaming us on that would help us a lot we thank you and we really appreciate your uh listening to us yep thanks everybody between the gutters signing off peace out bye guys